Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. That is, that is our constant prayer for you, that God's blessing is on you and your children and your children's children, and that he goes before you and that we remember every day, every moment that he is with us, right? Man, that is such a powerful, powerful song. I love those words. So, um... Once upon a time, a guy went to prison, and uh, when he was in there, they escorted him to his uh, cell block, and into his cell, he met his cellmate, and it kind of was like evening, and uh, as he got in his bunk, he's laying there, and he hears someone yell somewhere in the cell block, 27, and everybody in the whole cell block starts laughing, and uh, then someone says, 56, and they all start cracking up again. And then someone says, 92. And they all start laughing. He, he looks over at his cellmate and he says, what's going on? And he said, well, we've all been in prison so long and we've heard all the jokes. So we've just numbered them. So rather than saying the joke, we just yell the number. And uh, so he goes, oh, okay. So he decides to try it. And he gets by his bars and he says, uh, you know, 27. Crickets. 42, nothing. 98, nothing. He looks at his cellmate and he says, what's the deal, man? You said that, you know, you've numbered the jokes. And he said, well, I guess some people can tell a joke and some can't. <laughs> so I don't know if Jesus could tell jokes, but he could tell a story. And uh, we are in a study of Mark's gospel. And we're going through it on a pace that will, like, we'll get to the end of the book on Easter Sunday, which is all about the resurrection. And where we are today in chapter 4 of Mark is Jesus is in the area where he grew up in Galilee. And uh, they're on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a freshwater lake. And here's a picture of it there. Um, this is a modern picture of it, by the way. Uh, and uh, so what you may not know, that, but the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long, about 8 miles wide. And it is the lowest freshwater lake on earth. The Dead Sea is lower, but it's salt, right? So uh, the lake is primarily fed by uh, the Jordan River and underground springs. And Mark says that here, um, there are so many people when Jesus is teaching in chapter 4 that he has to get in a boat to, to get away from them so that he can teach because they're crowding all around him. Can't, you can just picture it there. He's in a boat on that shoreline somewhere. And what is Jesus doing as he's teaching? Is he... Um, teaching about doctrine, or the Old Testament, or is he giving a sermon? None of that. He's telling stories. And he's telling a story, he's telling stories with a point. And the Bible, most of your Bible versions will call these parables. And a parable is more than just a story. It's a story with a purpose. It, it teaches something. In the story, in fact, in Mark 4, 2, Mark says that of Jesus that he taught them many things 
by parables. But there's a stipulation that comes with what one may learn from a parable. And uh, this is kind of like the other purpose of a parable. The, a parable can also obscure a truth. So the first thing in your notes is a parable is a story that reveals truth to one, yet obscures it to another. And you'll see that in what Jesus keeps repeating as he teaches these parables. In verse 9, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And he, he, Jesus isn't separating people by auditory capacity here. He's saying that some people are going to be incapable of hearing the truth because of the auditory capacity of their hearts. And that's why he says in verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. In fact, he uses the word hear in these 34 verses 13 times. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the Shema, uh, the first word in the Shema is, listen, I'm going to put it up there. It's from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I think it's noteworthy that if you, you consider the fact that Devout Jews over the centuries have, uh, they've repeated this verse uh, multiple times a day, and that the first word of this verse is not a doctrinal statement like uh, the Lord our God is one, which is in it, right? But the first thing is an admonition to hear, to listen. And the point here is that their ability to hear the truth is directly related to the condition of their heart. We would call it receptivity or openness because everyone can listen to Jesus' stories in the first century, but not everyone can catch what he's saying. In verse 33, Mark writes, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. You know, in total, Jesus tells 51 parables in the Gospels, of which in this section here, there are four right in a row. So it's like a Costco pack of parables, you know, all shrink wrap for us. And um, Jesus told different kinds of parables. That's important to know. Like sometimes he told what, are, what scholars call true parables. They're, they're from everyday life, about sheep wandering, or a farmer sowing seed, or yeast and bread. And other times, he tells uh, story parables, which different, they differ from true parables uh, in that they don't rely on an obvious truth or a custom. Stories like about the rich man or the weeds that were sown by an enemy in his neighbor's field. And then sometimes Jesus' parables are illustrations. They're example stories, but they're told with a twist, you know, like the Good Samaritan or the Pharisee and the tax collector who prayed uh, next to one another, or the prodigal son. And in all of Jesus' parables, there's always a main point, a reason why he, he, he tells the story to the audience that he told it to. But the wonderful thing about teaching through a story is that depending on the audience or the time or perspective, people can walk away with a different idea. Um, you can hear the parable differently depending on where you're coming from or where you are in life in that moment or in what century even that you might have lived in. So a parable uh, not only can reveal a truth, 
an obscure truth, but a parable can be individual as well. Each of us can have a different takeaway when we read the stories that Jesus told. And I, you know, which, which is to say this, and we, we say this a lot here, you know, the narratives of the Bible, the stories in the Bible, they're meant to be contemplated over and over again, not just go, oh, I, I know that one, but to think about them deeply and to turn that story over and over in our minds, asking, you know, constantly, what is, what is God saying here? And how does it apply to me today? So today, that's what we're going to do is we're going to ponder uh, this section of parables. We're going to look at all four. And we realize they come from a different time and place. Uh, people's daily lives look very different. But what I'm going to try to do is bridge the gap, that the culture gap, the lifestyle gap, the century gap, and bring it forward to our day and time with each one. And I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to make kind of a modern application of each parable. But I want to just say in the beginning, it's, some of you are going to have a completely different or slightly different take on the parable. And, you know, that's awesome. Um, and I'm just going to leave it up to the Holy Spirit to tell you what you need to hear today because he's our ultimate teacher anyway. And I encourage you to think deeply about these stories way beyond whatever I say today. So this, let's, let's get after it. You ready? So the first parable of the sower and the seed reveals why people respond differently to the gospel. It explains why people have this different response. In fact, this, this first parable that Jesus set, tells, it's like, it might be the most important parable that he says in this grouping. In verse 13, he says, uh, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So this parable holds a key uh, to the others, and what it reveals is why some won't listen, and then why some who do don't last. Remember the agenda of Mark's gospel, or his biography of Jesus, is to show that Jesus is the true Son of God. And we see from the get-go that people responding differently to his teaching, some accept and follow, some uh, reject and despise him, and others are just kind of like, meh, they're just indifferent to what he says. And Jesus says the difference can be understood by something that many of them see in their everyday lives, plant a crop. Even if they're not farmers themselves, they're familiar because they, they see this happen when they go to work or when they go to synagogue or on their way to a relative's house. They see farmers scattering their seed probably to, to grow grain. And uh, that would typically take place in first century Palestine between October and December. And the sower would carry a bag of grain slung over their shoulder and they would toss the seed around, uh, you know, onto the land. And as they did, that seed would fall on a variety of soils with different outcomes. And in the parable, there's the, the hard path where the birds eat it up right away. There's a rocky ground, so its roots couldn't get the depth that the seed needed to survive uh, drought. There's good soil, but other indigenous plants grow up around it and eventually overcoming that fruitful seed. And then there's good soil that's fruitful and very, very fruitful. You probably get it, but as the, uh, as the first hearers of this story by Jesus, the disciples need clarification. And uh, so they inquire as the meaning of this parable. 
And Jesus explains that not everyone will get it and why they don't get it. And the disciples are confused. And they've been trying to figure it out. Um, probably, I picture them just kind of like walking along, you know, going to where they're going to sleep that night, and they're thinking about it. Maybe, maybe they're talking with, with each other about it. They say, well, it's like, what did that mean? You know, like, did you get the seed thing? Uh, you know, what's, what's with the different soils? And why would a farmer throw his seed on bad soil in the first place, you know? Shouldn't he be more careful about where he's throwing that seed? And, you know, what did you get for number five on the homework? You know, like, so Jesus overhears all that, and he, he explains to them. First, there's the birds. The farmer sows the seed in verse 14. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, there's no devil in farming, right? But if I were a farmer, and I cast my seeds, and I saw birds eating them, eating them up, I would think of them as Satan incarnate, right? And I just want to say I love birds, but I hate crows. Now, I know that they're some of the smartest birds on the planet, so save your emails. You don't have to send those to me. But really, how annoying is it when all these crows show up in your neighborhood on some random day like a motorcycle gang? And they're cawing and they're pecking at everything and jumping around and flying everywhere and pooping on your, your patio furniture, terrorizing all the other little birds. And I think that the reason why they're called a murder of crows is you want to murder them when they show up. I don't know. That's random, I know. But birds here are symbolic of any evil force that steals the truth from us. Jesus says the seed that is devoured by birds never even has a chance to sprout. And there are people who hear the gospel, it has no effect on them. And the truth, the truth of scripture lands on them, but it never gets started at all. And the truth is that some people, you're not ready to hear the truth. Maybe you've, maybe you've noticed that, like when you've talked to somebody about scripture or the gospel and you know it shows in their faces their eyes roll they look away they might even get angry they're just closed and when it comes to the gospel maybe it could be from a previous experience like you have or you have an intellectual uh, obstacle to the gospel or you know a, a way of life that you don't want to change or maybe there were family dynamics that you experienced that make you resistant to scripture and I realized that in a service like this, there are some sitting here that's like, you know, the truth, just, it's, you, don't, you don't get it. It doesn't land, and, um, or you won't let it land for now. And I want you to know that that's okay, that, that I'm not talking down to you and bringing that up. I, of course, I wish, I hope, I pray that it does connect, but you're just not, you're just not ready today. And God isn't rejecting you for that. In this story, I think Jesus is simply explaining the difference. The second uh, soil is the rocky soil, verse 16. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. So the seed that falls on rocky seed, on, on rocky soil, it springs up, right? But it has no roots so, and it can't survive drought. 
And I think it's noteworthy to see that Jesus says here that it's received with joy. It's like when they hear it, they like it, but, but it goes no further. It was like, that was a really good sermon, but then it's forgotten, right? The Sunday vibes have no effect on Monday's reality. Or as Jesus says, they like it, but when life gets tough, they tend to abandon it. They, he says they quickly fall away when it gets hard. The truth is, faith needs roots, right? Jesus said faith, or James said that uh, faith without works is dead. But faith without roots is just as dead, eventually. And that's why Scripture holds such a, an important part in our lives. It's why it should be central here as we teach and we, we meet together when we're in our small groups and processing it. You know, that is, that is sinking our roots deeper. And then when we, we take on the responsibility to study Scripture on our own and to do our devotions or read, you know, from you version or whatever, like we're, we're sinking our roots deep by doing that, doing that and like planting seed that will grow fruit in our lives. Now, what's, what's scary is we're see, seeing people today, particularly younger generations, leave faith at an, an alarming rate. Uh, COVID affected the church, uh, frustration over the evangelical culture wars. But, but here, here's a, some data for you. 50% of young people who are active in a youth group will leave their faith in college. And I think that, that a good portion of that's our fault. Uh, I think that we failed to teach them. We didn't disciple them. Uh, and so their faith was enthusiastic in those years, but it wasn't deep. It was shallow. And sometimes we blame universities for that, but maybe it's our fault when we don't help them sink roots, which is, you know, like I've talked to you guys, like how important it is, and I hope you guys are praying with us, that we find a high school pastor that can really do that here at Sunridge. Uh, third soil is uh, falls among the or seed falls among the weeds in verse 18. Still others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So for this group, some truth lands, um, but it just becomes less relevant over time because there are just too many other choices that occur. This, the, the faith lands, it takes root, it grows, but other matters overcome it. And as that grows up, it steals nutrients from that seed and blocks the sun, and that faith dies like a slow death. And faith fades into oblivion because of our own propensity to you know, go after shiny things. And it's a sad day, if you've experienced this, it's a sad day when you realize that in spite of your genuine faith, in the beginning you've allowed all these other things to overtake that faith. And now, most often when we realize that is when we've lost things that are really precious to us. And, but, but now we're trapped with a great deal of landscape work to get back to being fruitful. It's like, I've talked about this before at a church, but I think that, you know, when they built Temecula and they created slopes, they, that was of Satan, just like crows, you know, because um, nothing grows well on them, right? 
And if you're not out there every week pulling the weeds, killing the gophers or whatever's out there, your gazanias ain't making it, you know. And then you go out there like two years later and you got a lot of work left, right? And I think that's a good picture of what happens when we allow things to grow up around our faith as well and take it over. Jesus said that if we're not aware and diligent, that will happen to us. Things will overgrow our faith. The last is the fruitful seed in verse 20. Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold times what was sown. And so the difference in all four, right, is where the, where the seed fell. Same seed, but the soil in which it landed on. And what is the soil? It's the human heart. So the key to this entire parable and all the others is the soil, our hearts. The parable of the sower and the seed is a cautionary tale that tells us that Scripture is meant to do something to us or we're to do something because of it. And we need to guard our hearts from becoming hardened or overgrown by other things so that our faith shrivels. Now, the remaining parables, if you're looking at your watch right now, they're shorter, okay? That was a long parable. The next one, the parable of the lamp, reveals that the gospel is meant to shine in us, through, through us, and that the light will shine on us. That's in verses 21 through 25. And Jesus begins with the ridiculous here. Uh, in verse 21, he said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? No, no one would do that. Why? Because of the nature and purpose of light. It's, it's meant to shine openly. You would never hide it like that. And so he asks rhetorically, instead, don't you put it on its stand? Of course you do. I mean, you have to picture like first century, uh, you know, world here. No Edison. You know, we have to light candles. And of course, you wouldn't hide that light. But once again, this second parable is telling us something about how people are responding to Jesus' message. If, God, if God's light shines on us through the good news, um, then we have an obligation to carry that light into the world. I mean, how, how in the world could I hide that, having been given the light myself? That would be incongruent with its purpose. It would be negligent on my part, and even possibly it could be cruel for me to hide that light. We have, a, we have an obligation as Christians to be carriers of the good news, to share it when God gives us opportunity. And I don't just mean like preaching the gospel. I'm like, God has given us light in many ways, right? He's given us education and experiences and knowledge. He's given us financial resources. He's given us spiritual gifts. And that, those are the ways the light emanates from us into the darkness. The light that God gives us isn't just meant to light our souls, is what I'm saying. It, it, and it doesn't say we have to be perfect. Oh, I have to be a shining light in the world in order for God to use me. Remember, it is God's light that emanates from us. And I love how Paul put this in his second letter to the Corinthians in 4.7. He said, we, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. See, we're far from perfect, perfect right? We're, we're these simple jars of clay. 
but there's light inside us, and it, it emanates through our cracks, right, where God breaks us open, and we shed our light into the world. The treasure of the gospel is not to be hoarded by believers. And this is why, you know, this is one of the reasons we say this a lot here. Sunridge is an outwardly focused church. We, we love you. We love our Christians. We, we love our members. Our goal is to disciple you and build you up in the word of God. But all of that reflects, you know, it reflects off of us into the world. And we don't just think about us. We think about the people that aren't in church, that need the gospel, that need the hope of the gospel. And as those who have experienced the light of God, in our lives, don't you want to use your resources and your gifts and your skills to shine the light that God has allowed you to have? Don't you want to intentionally do that? Don't you want to be in proximity to someone who needs the light? Cindy recently told me a story about someone that she knows that um, they, they meet with their sister that they wouldn't normally see for once a month simply to shine the light. I love that. But there's another meaning possible here, and it's a little darker, no pun intended here. Um, Jesus doesn't explain it, but um, we can take it either way. The purpose, purpose of the light is to shine, yes, but the light will also shine on us. Verse 22, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. So hidden things, Jesus said, will be brought into the open. And this is a warning to the Pharisees who uh, appear holy, but secretly they're dark. They're like a white grave, a whitewashed grave with dead men's bones in it, Jesus says. And they are plotting against Jesus. And you've heard the axiom before, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That is certainly true, according to Scripture, in the spiritual sense. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Wow. Jesus saying here, listen carefully and consider what I'm saying. You will be accountable for the measure that you were given. God blesses us with family and resources and context and a church and a community and a career and the truth and the gospel and on and on. He gives that to us. And if what we use for him, if we use it appropriately, then we can expect more. But if we hoard it, God will take it away. In other words, if, you, if we don't use what God gives us, it will become diminished in its usefulness for the kingdom of God. It's like atrophy in a muscle. If we don't use it, you're going to lose it, right? I know when I did that, nothing moved. There's not, there used to be a muscle there, I can tell you. I can show you a picture. The light of the gospel shines on us. And then, therefore, it should shine through us. That's a simple thing. Now, there are two more seed parables. And they're, unique, you're, they're, they're both 
They pair well because uh, they teach similar things but with a different emphasis. And the first one, this first one we'll look at is Mark is the only gospel that has this, this parable in it. It's the sprouting seed. The sprouting seed reveals that God is working even when we can't see it. And that's in chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. And once again, Jesus is comparing spiritual things to everyday, the everyday life of a farmer. And uh, for, in the farmer's mind, he plants the seed and something magical happens. You know, it just grows. I mean, I don't know if they had ninth grade biology then, but do you remember it? Where you would take the seeds and you put them between the wet paper towels and germinate them. And then the little root, I don't know if that's called a root or not. Like, I should know better. Um, but the little thing sprouts out. It's like, oh, it's magic. You know, look at that. What an amazing God we have. That he's created these things, you know. Um, and the farmer then, he, he understood very little about that, you know, but um, Jesus was the seed planted, is what he was saying. Things were happening that they could not see, and an entire harvest would come that they had no, they, their minds could not imagine what would happen in 2,000 years. God is at work, even when we can't see it or we can't see all of it. And how many times have we found ourselves in that situation where um, we think that there's no way God could bring something good from this? There's nothing that can come from this or to bring glory to God or bring goodness to my life. You're sharing the gospel with someone, and it's just like, boom, boom, just someone that you really love, and it doesn't get in. You think, you know, there's all this tension in my household right now, and you think there's nothing that good, nothing good that could come from this time in my life where I'm in so much stress and anxiety. And you, you see one of your children who's far from God, and you think, man, they're just never, ever going to get it. They're never going to come back. And, or you're, you're battling depression or anxiety, and you're thinking, it's like, I, you know, what, what good could come from this struggle that I'm having right now? Some of you are struggling like, you know, you're, you think, am I going to be single the rest of my life? And some of you are like, am I going to be married to this person for the rest of my life? <laughs> some of you are saying, like, how, how could this prognosis, how could anything come that's good from this? We don't always know what God is doing. I... I wish that we could, we did. I wish that God would put me on his, you know, like his, like, check-in list. But so far he hasn't. It should just give us hope that God is moving. Um, when, God, when he feels absent, when he feels like he's missing in action, that, that sprouting seed story should tell us, give us confidence that God is working even though we can't see it. Now, the last parable, the parable of the mustard seed, reveals that great things come from small beginnings. 
Again, it's a seed story, but look, it's different. Verse 30, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds on earth, and when planted, it grows, becomes largest, the largest of, garden, of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So after the seed is planted, something truly remarkable happens. And Jesus' point in this parable is that he's the Messiah bringing God's kingdom, but it doesn't look anything like what they expected. And they couldn't see it at the time, but it was there. Now, I've never personally held a mustard seed. I, I can't remember, but I have Googled it, and they're tiny. And that little seed turns into this huge bush. And so if you just think about it, the disciples, they had no idea what they were a part of, what they were starting. In that little community in Galilee, as they heard this story, they had no idea that Christianity would become the largest faith community in the world with two and a half billion followers, 380,000 churches in America alone. And they couldn't imagine in their wildest dreams that you'd be here sitting with your family maybe in church. They had no idea there'd be a Sunridge that, um, that started in Bud and Sue Kane's house in Meadowview, and they didn't even go to church. And the founding pastor showed up in their living room. He was a friend of Bud's from college. And he showed up and he said, this would be a great room for a Bible study. And he moved a bunch of people in there and they started having Bible study every week. Now it's an eight-acre campus. We could never count. We could never even imagine how many, how many people would confess Christ as a part of this community of faith or how many baptisms we would have done or how many Christians grew in ways that we could never imagine or how many people who started in this church would become pastors, some of them working in this community or, be, or in Christian ministry in other ways or just being solid Christians in their vocation and in their homes. How many kids grew up here, came to know Christ, were baptized here, and now we're baptizing your kids? It's crazy. You know, the Apostle Paul uh, turns this small, turns great, personal and individual in his first letter to the Corinthians in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of yourself as I read this to you. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world, that's you and me, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. In other words, step back and look at what God has done in your life. Look how far you've come. You could have never imagined it, right? A little mustard seed in your life. I'm going to have the band come up. And you know, I can say without a doubt that no one, myself included, could have ever imagined what God had in store for Brit Sype, hoodlum and little wannabe hippie 
growing up in Carroll City, uh, Miami, Florida. N no one could have imagined the day that I was at the beach, at Hollower Beach in Miami, and Holy Joe showed up, uh, which was like this very quirky character that would wear a tux to the, to the beach, and he had a black Lincoln Continental, and he would open his trunk, and he gave out Gideon New Testament Bibles. And I took one, because I wanted one. And no one, no one could have ever imagined that I took that Bible home and started reading it. And I, w I was really interested in it. No one could know that somehow, coincidentally, that I would get invited to church by my best buddy in a secret surprise because he told a guy that bought all of his Little League bumper stickers that he would go to church if he bought them all in front of Publix Market. And then he told me on Saturday night when I was spending the night and I went to church with him for the first time. Look, God totally changed my life. I'm not saying I'm perfect, trust me. But like my life is totally different than where it was headed. And some of you, you have that same story. If you think about it, you're like, yeah, man, that's my story. It's like, I could have never imagined that I'd be sitting here, you know, among believers in Jesus and pursuing my faith and trying to live out the gospel in my home and in my community. Others, you're here and you're like, I, I, can, I can't even imagine it right now. Um, you can't, you can't even see it. You have a million questions and doubts, but so did the 12. That's what you need to say. This, this section of the parables ends with this verse. When he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And here's what I want you to know, that as we wrap up, that the disciples who walked with Jesus, they had tons of questions. They didn't even understand it when Jesus taught them. And yet, he explained every one of, them, one of the questions to them. They got their questions answered. He will do the same for you and me if our hearts are open, if we're genuinely seeking. He's, God is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. He wants to answer them. And I think if you, if you open your heart to that and you pursue time with Jesus and with his people, your final story will be beyond your wildest imaginations. Let's stand and worship together, church. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.